Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Hey, well, good morning, Epicos. All right. Yeah, it's good to see you. Uh, If you're a guest with us today, welcome. Uh, We are glad that you're here. My name is Mark. I get to be the lead pastor here at Epicos Church. So so for those of you joining us online, uh, staying warm at home, uh, welcome to those of you as well at our campuses, Mayfair, Sherman Park. It It is great to be with you, to be with you this morning. I hope that your new year is starting off well, uh, and I've already had enough conversations uh, with some of you to know, like, it hasn't uh, started off uh, well, and I'm not just talking about the Packers game, uh, but like real life things uh, that happen in your life, and this happens every year, doesn't it, uh, where maybe you like the New Year's resolution, uh, perhaps you're like, I don't like New Year's resolutions, but I do appreciate the reset, so there's some goals, some things I want to get back on track on, and uh, the influencers that come out at the beginning of the year is quite fascinating to see. And the algorithms and all of our social feeds know exactly where our weaknesses are because they're the things that we look at the most. And so they're, they're full of whatever it may be, the, the diet that we need to get back on, uh, the planner that we need to buy, uh, whatever it is, routine, uh, the habit that we're trying to reestablish in our life. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. We can use these moments to get back on track in some very healthy, some very healthy ways. But what happens what happens when an influencer, somebody who influences your life specifically, goes too far. And we're just going to jump all the way into the deep end, all the way into the extreme. Uh, One version of an influencer who just takes it way too far is a cult leader. Someone who will tell you, uh, I have the answer, I am the way, whether it is to to eternal life or spiritual power, whatever it is. And uh, we have heard many stories, and there are many documentaries out there about uh, those leaders who tried to be the answer for people who are looking for change, who are looking to establish new habits in their life, who are looking for something better, only to find complete destruction. Uh, One in particular, uh, in the mid to late 80s, into the 90s was uh, Shoko Ashera in Japan, and he led a cult called Um Shumriko, and uh, tens of thousands of people ended up being in this cult. Uh, He promised eternal life, promised to be the way. He said that he could give people spiritual power if they did exactly as he told them to do, but it was was a very destructive cult, and for those of you that remember the story, uh, or perhaps if you don't know the story, in 1995, uh, he had his followers release sarin gas, killing thousands of people in Japanese subways. It was a fraud. Some of you have an intimate knowledge of cults, and I hope that none of you are a part of one today, but it does kind of raise this question, who do we listen to? Who do we follow? Because we're wired to follow. Even those of you that, that, are, that are strong, independent leaders, we are wired to follow. We're wired to, to listen to somebody, to seek guidance. Who do we seek guidance Who do we listen to? In Jesus' day, there are the religious authorities in Israel, the Pharisees uh, and and the such. And so Jesus actually calls them what we just call the cult leaders, uh, destroyers and killers. He called them thieves and robbers. 
In this text we're going to look at today, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. A very familiar text to some of us in the room. He's saying, of all the people to listen to, of all the people to follow, you should follow me. And so uh, as we open the text today, as we continue in this series, I am just really looking at Jesus and how did Jesus define who he was and what does that mean for us today? We're going to look at this I am statement, actually two I am statements. There's a bonus one right in the middle of the text that we'll get to, I am the door. He says, I am the door, and he says, I am the good shepherd. And we're going to see exactly why Jesus is worth following above everybody else. And here's the thing. If Jesus is the good shepherd, then we need to know and be known by him. If Jesus is the good shepherd, then we're going to need to know and be known by him. So our text today picks up right where we left off last week. If you were here, great. If you weren't, uh, re-watch it some uh, other time during the week. Pastor Jacob unpacked the, the text where Jesus says, I am the light, and then goes on to heal a blind man. And uh, the religious authorities like refuse to believe that Jesus could actually do this and acknowledge that he has this kind of power over somebody's sight and uh, cast the blind man out of their sight. The Pharisees and the priests, all the religious leaders, they were called shepherds of God's people. This is a title that was like given to them because to shepherd means to care for, to show care for. In fact, we use the term pastor, uh, and the term pastor actually comes from the word shepherd, to shepherd, and this is who uh, the, the Jewish leaders of the time of Jesus' day were supposed to be to their people. And here, in the story that we looked at last week, they're seen throwing one of them out, saying, get out of here, we don't believe you, and there's no way this actually happened. It's on the heels of this that Jesus says that he is the shepherd, that Jesus calls the religious authorities the thieves and the robbers. But there's a, there's a backdrop to this that we need to understand. Because all the way in the Old Testament, uh, there is a prophecy against the leaders of Israel, not just in that day, but in Jesus' day as well. Let's read this together. We're in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34 uh, and this is a prophecy against the leadership, the leadership of Israel. We don't have time to read the whole passage, just some of it. It says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, uh, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not, uh, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, uh, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them, so they were scattered because there were no shepherds. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered and they wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. We're going to jump to verse 10. He says, no longer shall the shepherds feed the sheep, feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep uh, from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Jesus says, you guys are failing at being the kind of shepherds that I need you to be. Now, we're going to use the word shepherd a lot, this metaphor. And uh, I would imagine that if I were to go back, I'd probably say shepherd more in the next half hour than I've probably ever said in my life. Uh, but this is the metaphor that we're in today, shepherd and sheep. And, and as we unpack the text, we really just need to, to wrestle with this. Do I know the good shepherd 
and am I known by the good shepherd? Or are there other shepherds in my life that I'm trying to follow? So here we go. Let's go ahead and open the text. John chapter 10, this is where we're at. If you have a Bible, open it up. Uh, we're going to plant ourselves here. It's going to be on the screens behind me. We just encourage you to open the word yourselves. We have Bibles in the back of the chairs. Uh, there's Bibles you can take home. Uh, just If it's on your phone, go ahead and open it up. We just encourage you to get in the habit of knowing what it is to open God's word, uh, however you open God's word. John chapter 10. We're going to read uh, this text, and then we're going to unpack it together. John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus, Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, and he's saying, look, I am the shepherd that's come to the door. I'm the one to collect the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Who are supposed to, who's supposed to keep uh, the sheep in the pen? Who's supposed to take care of the sheep while the shepherd is away? But the religious leaders. And so they're supposed to watch out for Jesus. And he says this, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all of his own, out of all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." And I love verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. And this often happens. Jesus is talking and people are like, what? What are you possibly talking about? And so as we look at this text, verses 1 through 5 stand alone. Jesus sets himself up as the good shepherd. As we move forward, he's going to expound on what he said. So he's going to change some metaphors He's going to use some new ones, uh, but he's expounding on what he said. He's not just explaining what he said, so he moves on. So Jesus said to them, verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. He repeats it again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, what is Jesus saying when he says, I am the door? So some scholars would point out that a sheepfold in that day and age is a fence or some kind of stone wall that would keep the sheep in one area because sheep are dumb and they don't know how to do anything on their own. And so the shepherd has to protect them. The shepherd has to keep them safe. Sometimes, sometimes the, the door to that sheepfold would have an actual gate that could open and close. Other times there's just a gap, a gap in the wall. And so the shepherd would actually lay down in that gap so that nothing could go in and out without him knowing. Jesus changes the metaphor a little bit here. He says, I'm not just the shepherd. I'm the way in and out. Nothing can come in and nothing can come out except through me. He's claiming to be the Messiah when he says he's the door. He's the way. He says, I am the only way into the sheepfold, only through me. Anyone who tries to come in any other way, they're out to steal, kill, and destroy, which we'll get to in just a moment later in the text. He said, but if they come in, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only way. Let's keep reading. Uh, Pick up uh, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, here he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees. He is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
And Jesus repeats himself, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So just real quick, this is a beautiful, beautiful teaching in this text. Israel's entire existence as God's people was to be a light for the nations, was to be a people that would welcome in uh, every tribe and every tongue to experience the goodness of God through the way of living which God had set up for them. But they, they failed again over and over and over. And Jesus is saying here, he's like, look, there's a sheep. And in their context, they're like, yeah, we're the Israelites. We're the Jewish people. We know. We're the sheep. He says, no, no, there's a whole bunch of sheep not of this fold, and I got to go get them. And for those, majority of us in this room, that, that's us. This is a beautiful image uh, of the beautiful, what I call the diversity of the gospel. That the good news of Jesus was never meant to be kept to just one people group. But that it was meant for all people. It's one thing that I love here about Epicos. One thing that you love about Epicos at all of our campuses uh, and online, wherever you're at, that, that we are people made up of different uh, backgrounds, different socioeconomic uh, statuses, right? Places in life, different places in life, different ethnicities. We bring just a lot to the table. And as we come with people who have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, it's just a beautiful picture of a new flock under one new shepherd. That we can be a church who is Christ-centered, a church who has Jesus at our head, and, and all of our differences that outside these walls would keep us apart. In these walls, we are united together under Christ. And there's nothing more beautiful than that, just a picture of heaven itself. And we're worshiping next to people who voted differently than us. We're worshiping next to people who, who drive cars differently than us. They send their kids to different schools, like whatever it may be, different upbringings, different parents, whatever it may be, what unites us is Christ. And Jesus is saying this. He's like, look, there's a whole bunch of other sheep, and I got to go get them. And praise God for that. That's who we, that's who we are, and that's who we're going to continue to strive to be, this beautiful, this beautiful multi-ethnic church. Let's keep reading in verse 16. Now I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So here there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is painting this picture that he is the way, he is the shepherd to lead us to the kind of life that we all would hope to have. That the very deepest longings of our soul can only be found in only the true shepherd. That everyone else who, who would come along the way and point to anyone or anything other than Jesus, they're a thief, they're a robber, they're a hireling, uh, they're a wolf, whatever it is, Jesus gives a lot of different examples. They're not me, is what he's saying. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep hear my voice and they can come in and out and they can find pasture. So what does it look like that Jesus is truly the good shepherd? And we have a, a text in our Bible, one of the most well-known texts around the world, Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is a beautiful text to help us understand exactly what it is to be a sheep in the sheepfold of God to have Jesus as our good shepherds. Let's just read this. Let's just read Psalm 23. 
Now, depending on how you grew up, you might expect to, be, to, to see a lot of these and thous. Uh, we read out of the ESV translation, the English Standard Version. So uh, bear with us as we read together this beautiful text of what it is to be a sheep under the uh, shepherding of Jesus. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which means I shall not be in want, which means I shall not want anything. Because a sheep is completely relying on the shepherd. A sheep doesn't know where to poop, a sheep doesn't know where to eat, a sheep doesn't know where to sleep, except for the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I say, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. Man, some of you, this is why you love Jesus. Because you've realized through many different circumstances in your life that there is nothing that can truly restore your soul. That there's a peace that Jesus can offer that nothing, nothing else can offer. No retreat, no vacation. Nothing can offer the peace that Jesus brings. Lean besides still waters. Water, often a sign of chaos in the Bible. And here's like still waters, peace. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, we walk through the darkest times. And what sets a, a Christian apart, someone who's truly under the good shepherd apart, is someone who can walk through the most difficult of times with complete peace and comfort because they know that Jesus is their shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The blessings and the generosity of God is more abundant than we could possibly imagine. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How can they not? How can they not if Jesus is our shepherd? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. I will abide with God forever. Eternity doesn't start after this life. It starts once we have a saving faith in Christ. And we have an abiding with Jesus now, and we'll have an abiding with Jesus later. And this is a wonderful text that can help us understand exactly what it means that Jesus truly is our good shepherd. And we, we have psalms like that, that, that even those who... Even those who, who deny Christ think that that is a great picture of what you can experience in life. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard sometimes to follow Jesus? Why often is it easier, and we see this in other people a lot quicker than we see in ourselves, to, to follow a different shepherd to, to follow a hireling, to, to follow a thief or a robber who's trying to come in another way, who says, no, 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 this is, this is the way you need to come. Don't listen to Jesus. Uh, do you remember the last time you had an argument or a disagreement? Some of you are like, like five minutes ago? I don't know. Uh, maybe it wasn't like a verbal confrontation, but uh, perhaps just even in your mind, you have a, a conversation with somebody and you're like, I disagree. What's really interesting about this is uh, the moment that happens and, and we, we walk away from that conversation, where that happened today or yesterday or a week ago, whatever it was, the narrative that instantly starts to write in our mind is how right we were and how wrong they were. Maybe this is just me. So maybe this is just like Mark confession time. Uh, psychologists have actually done a lot of study on this. They, they uh, interviewed prisoners 
who were in prison for like really violent crimes, like truly violent crimes, murder, these, these kinds of things. And when asked about their, their moral or ethical standing, the only moral or ethical dilemma that they had was that they broke the law. That, that they were justified in whatever action they took. And so there's this term that's used to describe this. Uh, psychologists use this term, uh, moral superiority. Now, moral superiority has been used in much larger areas as well, uh, in terms of race or in terms of socioeconomics, and that is definitely true, but it is also true in our own hearts. It, it, is, a, it is a process, it is a problem of sin itself in our hearts. That our go-to whenever we disagree with somebody walking away is like, oh, they didn't understand. How could they not understand me? They weren't really listening. They, right? They weren't really listening. They, they don't know where I'm coming from. I can't believe that they don't believe what I'm saying because I know that I'm right. Now, maybe, maybe in some cases that is true. But if we're really honest, in most cases it's not. This has been something that has been a huge growth area for me, just becoming self-aware about this and just learning to catch myself. Learning to catch myself and say, okay, what is it I need to learn? What is it I need to admit that I'm wrong to? What is it that I may not know what I know? And for some of you, that's a great place to start because you don't have to admit that you're completely wrong, but you can admit that you're kind of wrong. What is it that I need to know that I know? But this moral superiority, it's, it's this whole thing of like there's, there's this, there's this uh, barrier in our life that's hard to overcome and it has to do with our pride and it has to do with our own self-will and it has to do with our own selfishness. And this is why in, when we talk about a character arc in any story we like to listen to or watch in a movie uh, or perhaps read in our favorite book, one of the major consistencies in the best character arcs ever written is a character who can overcome the personal dilemma of admitting that they were wrong and they didn't know what they were doing. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that this is just such one of the most common uh, parts of a great character arc in any story. Why do you think that is? I think part of why that may be is because it's something that we struggle with and we don't know how to do that all the time. And so if we can see somebody else doing it successfully, man, we want to just lift them up and we say, man, you are, you are the hero. Because we want to be the hero in our own life. We want to be the hero in our own life. This is who we celebrate. Like I, I, I pull myself up by my bootstraps, if you will, to borrow an old uh, colloquialism. I, I got myself out of debt. I got myself through school. I got myself out of this difficult relationship. I pulled this through. I did this. I was right. They were wrong. We want to be the hero in our own story. And this is one of the most difficult things when we come to this text. Because when we come to this text, what it shows us is that there are outside forces trying to steal us from Jesus. They're trying to steal us from Jesus. They're trying to, to delay us. They're trying to defer us. They're trying to detour us from living the way that Jesus would want us to live. But one of the most dangerous realities that we can become aware of is that it's not just the threat outside the pen. It's the threat inside our hearts. And the threat inside our hearts can be uh, this, this selfishness and this pride that can keep us from exactly what Jesus said. He says, my sheep know me. My sheep know me. 
Do you really know Jesus? You know of Jesus. Do you really know Jesus? One of the bookends in this text that we've been talking about is Jesus is saying, believe. Like, believe in me. In other words, that can be a trigger for some people if a leader just says, believe in me. But Jesus is saying, like, trust me. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I am the good shepherd? Do you trust that I am this? And what makes Jesus the good shepherd? When we, when we think about Jesus being the good shepherd in our life, like one of the first questions that we should think is like, what makes Jesus the good shepherd? He's distinguishing himself from, from every other religious leader, cult leader, uh, person who comes and wants to try and, and take us away from the way that Jesus would want us to live. What really sets, us, sets Jesus apart? It's in the text. It could be answered in many ways, but Jesus gives it to us. He says this, Verse 15, he says, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I'm the Father. And he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. And we jump to verse 17. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay my life down, lay down my life that I might take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There is no other religion, there is no other faith who has a Savior, who has a God who's willing to die for you, but not just die for you, raise again so that the life that he promises, the life that he brings, is in the power that he has over life itself. Why is Jesus the good shepherd? Because he lays his life down for us and because he picks his life back up. This is, this is uh, completely oxymoronic and like people are hearing this and they're like, no way. No way. Here's the thing about shepherds. The thing about shepherds is that they were the outcasts of society. They didn't have a credible witness in court. They spent all the day in the field. So they probably smelled of feces and body odor and who knows what else. They're not people that, that you would want to, to, to be around or choose to hang around with. Yet Jesus uses them in a, as an analogy. Why? Because he always is using the foolish things to shame the wise. Paul uses this uh, language with us. And so it's helpful to understand when we see this imagery. But it's, but it's easy for us to forget that. Because we can have this image of a shepherd who's very like clean, freshly white, uh, pressed robes, right? Holding a, a little lamb. It's just like, yeah, maybe on like day one, minute one. And it's like instant, just in the filth, like with the sheep. But a sheep, but a shepherd would never lay his life down for the sheep. A shepherd would never lay his life down for the sheep. Why? Because if you lay your life down for the sheep, who's going to protect the sheep? And sheep reproduce, as it turns out. And so maybe you miss one or two. Maybe one gets eaten. Maybe one or two gets stolen. But like you can breed more sheep, but you got to stay as the shepherd. And so Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd because I lay my life down. And it's just like, wait a second. A shepherd doesn't lay his life down for a sheep. And Jesus says, that's why I'm the good shepherd. This is why in Colossians chapter 2, we have this beautiful, beautiful verse about how when Jesus rose from the grave, he made a mockery of all the spiritual forces in this world. Uh, why? Why did he make a mockery of them? Because death thought that it won. Because if a shepherd died, it just left uh, wide open for the sheep. But Jesus rose again. And so death, death didn't win. This is one of the things we do. Jesus is not a victim of death. 
Jesus is not a victim of death. He chose to die. And he has such authority over life that he chose to raise his own life up again. And then in, we have later here, in, later in the chapter, he says this in verse uh, 20, 27, 26. He says, the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not my, among my sheep. He says this, my sheep hear my voice, here he says again, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Why can Jesus give eternal life? Because he has authority over all of life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you've ever struggled with whether or not your salvation is secure, if you've ever struggled with whether or not you have eternal security in Jesus, this verse, hold on to this verse. Because Jesus says, with the same power that I, that I chose to die, with the same power that I chose to raise again, it's the same power that I give my life to you, it's the same power. Once you are in my sheepfold, no one will ever take you out of my hand. Man, that can give us great comfort. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I, I and the Father are one. And one of the things as we've been reading, we, we see these words, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So the first question for us this morning is just like, do you know Jesus as the good shepherd? Do you know Jesus as the good shepherd? Syncretism is when we try to add anything onto Jesus. Jesus plus anything. Uh, one of the games that my boys love to play is Fortnite, which some of you know this, some of you are like, I have no idea what you're saying, so just bear with me, bear with me, we're going somewhere with this, don't worry. Fortnite is this uh, uh, game, and uh, it's a fun game and, uh, to watch and play, and basically it's like Hunger Games, okay? So you have like all these uh, characters, all these people, uh, not real people, it's all digital, and they're, they're placed in this digital arena, and like last man standing, right? That's kind of the thing, or last woman, I guess, depending on what character you choose, but that's part of the fun of it. Part of the fun of it is like all the different kinds of characters that this game has that you can play as. They have this gi giant like banana man thing, called the Peely or something. And uh, like there's like different themes they bring along every once in a while. It's, it's like really fun to watch my kids play this game. They can choose their character and they can watch their character go around and, and try and be the last one standing in this, in this digital, digital arena, if you will. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what character you choose in terms of how it functions in the game. And I, I, I think I know what I'm talking about. So for those of you that are extreme Fortnite people, just bear with me on this and don't correct me later, okay? Uh, it doesn't actually matter. It's called a skin. It's called a skin because like once you're in the game, all characters jump the same, run the same, move the same, aim the same, wh whatever it may be. And so all it is is just a different skin. And so you wanna like look cool playing the game. That's why you get the different characters. Many of us approach faith this way. We say, look, I, I get where I need to go, but I really don't think it matters who takes me there. Because once I'm in this game, it, it's all dependent on me. It's all dependent on what I'm able to do, what I'm able to achieve to try and be victorious in this life. And so some of us, you maybe even be choosing Christianity, but like you have all these different add-ons. I'm gonna take a little bit of this, 
from Hinduism. I'm going to take a little bit of this because it smells really good. I'm going to take a little bit of this, like whatever it may be. Why? Because Jesus isn't enough because at the end of the day, it's all up to you. If you know Jesus as the good shepherd, then what you'll know is that he's already won the game, that there is no game to play, that Jesus says, look, I have everything that you need in and through me. Because remember, we talked about this, a sheep is completely relying on the shepherd. A sheep can do nothing on its own. A shepherd is everything to its sheep. And the only way we can truly say that we truly know who Jesus is, is if we have that posture. And this is a daily thing that we must do every time we wake up. Every hour, maybe just set an alarm on your phone. Just remind yourself. That's right, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this, I need you. Jesus, I need you to work through me. This is what it is to be known by Jesus. That that, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That we can have a saving faith in him. That we can believe he is who he says he is. That we can trust, that we can truly trust in him. And if we have this kind of posture, like what? else could we possibly want in this life? Who else could possibly give us something that Jesus doesn't say he'll already give us? Why is it that it's so easy for some of us to be so tempted and so distracted by by the others who say they have an answer that's not Jesus? Friends, Jesus is the good shepherd. Know the good shepherd and be known by the good shepherd. And as we uh, follow Jesus' leading, we become his disciples. So we talk about this at Epicos, right? Like make more and better disciples. And some of us, we get very ethereal about like what discipleship means. But look, it's just being knowing and being known by Jesus, becoming more like Jesus in every moment of every day, doing our very best through his strength, through his power to take the next step of faithful obedience. because he offers us something that nothing else can. So I'm gonna uh, invite the band up. Instead of praying uh, today, and so even our campuses, I'm just gonna invite the band up. Instead of praying today, I'd just like us to read Psalm 23. I'm gonna invite you to, to read with me Psalm 23. We can just remember who the good shepherd is and what it is that he has for us. So at our campuses, if you're at home, just yell at the TV, all right? Let's read the Bible together. Psalm 23, read it with me. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen.